What exactly do you want to get out of this little meeting of ours? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! <laughs> uh, I lost it. <laughs> Your face. I think very carefully before you take this. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, Let's get it all out. All the laughs. Here we go. I think very <laughs> I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> You're laughing as you say it. I didn't get kicked out. I left. Yeah. <laughs> 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 He's closed. So guys, you guys are here. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Thanks for joining us for The Devil Made Me Do It. So glad you guys are a part of this service. Man, we're, we're packed, guys. This is great. Thanks so much for coming out. Wow. It's great to have you guys here. We're starting to pack in at all of our 11.30 hours. In fact, I want to encourage you because that thank you for being here. First of all, we're so glad that you're here. But would you do us a favor? We're looking for several hundred people to consider moving from 11.30 to Saturday night. We have room in Saturday night at 6 p.m. We'd love to have you here. It's actually filling up too, but we really need to add another service eventually. But right now, we could just use a couple hundred people to say, you know what, it's a little tight, and if I can help make some room for some visitors to come in, I'll do it. How many of you guys are willing to do that? Anyone who says, you know what, Pastor, I'm willing to do that. Would you lift your hand and say, I'm willing to make a move if it'll help bring more people here. Come on. I need some more hands in that, guys. I got like 10 of you. I need like 50 to 100 of you right now. Come on, some hands in you go. If you're saying, you know, I could do that. See, when you, when you go to another service, there's visitors that come to 1130 that now have a parking spot and now have a place to check their children's in the children's ministries or the nursery, now have a, a seat. And so, because we have had it before years ago, we had people that would drive around in our smaller campus. We were so packed. They would drive around, couldn't find a parking spot, and leave. And it drove me nuts. And so what a great problem to have that our church has to move people to other services because God's filling his house. Isn't that great to have that problem? Thank you, Jesus. That's a great problem. And so, but really, it does tremendously help your church when you say, what can I do for my church? This is something you can do. Just simply moving service times either to the 1 o'clock or to the Saturday night, 6 p.m. or Sunday night, 6 p.m. We really appreciate your help. It really is a, a great thing to be willing to do that. So, again, thanks for being a part of our services today. Let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Hey, I want to stop real quick, too, and just say this. We'll get into the sermon in just a second, but before I dive into that, I want to say a special hello to those of you. We have some people here that have come in from two campuses. I made a hard decision as a leader a few weeks ago, and we announced it last week, and uh, this has taken months to make this decision because it's not something you do in jest. You don't do this easily. A lot of prayer, a lot of counsel, a lot of advice seeking, a lot of just thinking it through. We actually decided to close two campuses, which we, we rarely ever do that. We closed the Alice campus and the Northwest campus and asked them to move back over to this campus. I made a bunch of phone calls uh, and we let them know and people have been so gracious to understand that just the numbers weren't working. We were trying, but we just couldn't get them to, to, to financially be, be real viable. And so we made the hard call. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you about our people. This is so great. I called them and some people just said, Pastor, we get it. I mean, it hurts. We hate it, but we understand. 
And so some of you just said, we're going to make the drive. So I was talking to a couple last weekend, or a couple weeks, about 10 days ago, before we announced it this last weekend at their campus. We want to announce it now to you. I called this one couple up. They live in Alice. I was explaining to them why we had to do it, telling them I'm so sorry. The lady says to me on the phone, she says, Pastor, Jesus walked an extra mile. I can drive a few extra miles. I mean, I almost started crying. I was like, are you kidding me? So if you're from the Alice campus or the Northwest campus, and by faith you said, I'm not going to get mad, I'm going to come on over instead, would you stand to your feet if, from the, if you're from the Alice campus or the Northwest campus, we can just honor you right now. Let's, let's give it up to these people that are standing right now over here. Thank you guys for driving in. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're really grateful for that. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. We had a ton of people in the 10 o'clock as well, and I'm sure we'll have people at the 1. So just thank you again for being willing to make that drive. We're just a very transparent church, so we're going to tell you what's up and why we do it. Whether it's good or bad, we want to let you know that's what we've done. But if you're at another campus going, are we next? No, you're not. You're good, okay? You're good. Chill. You're fine, okay? And so we are grateful for your support, and uh, thank you for staying faithful at your campus. We're grateful for that. Pull out your notes if you would. We're talking about the devil is in the details today. The devil is in the details, right? And so uh, you, ever, you ever felt like you missed some details on the contract you signed, right? And you're like, oh, the devil's in the details, right? Well, there are some details that people don't realize that the devil is involved in. And so we just want to kind of cover a bunch, of, a bunch of things that maybe we didn't talk about already about how the devil works and how demons work in our lives. And so, and I'm even going to tell a quick story about how I faced someone with a demon in them even here at Church Unlimited one time. So we're going to share that story as well. Let's look at Luke chapter 8. This is where Jesus comes face to face with a guy who has a demon in him. Luke chapter 8, verse 27 says, As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to live in a cemetery. That's a little scary, right? And I feel pretty comfortable around death as a pastor. I deal with it a lot. And uh, I don't want to live near a cemetery. That's kind of crazy, right? Well, this guy lived among the, uh, the, the tombs and so that, that, would be pretty, that would freak me out. I don't know about you. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 3. I want to read the scripture. This is not on your notes, so I want to mention this real quick. It says, Jesus said, if you had 100, peop- 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go and search for the lost one until you found it? So Jesus is saying here, I am willing to go out and find someone who's all alone and bring him in and help them find me, help them find Christ, right? So I go after the one. So isn't it cool to know that our Lord will go after one? When they're all alone, he wants to reach out to you, right? But you need to know, he has a plan to go, out, to go after the one, but the devil has a plan to go after someone all alone too. So you need to understand that, that the devil wants to come after you oftentimes when you are alone. First Peter 5.8 says, be alert and sober mind, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So if I'm a wolf or a pack of wolves, I'm looking for the sheep that's alone. Oftentimes a pack of wolves don't come after a whole, a whole pack of sheep. A lion won't go after a whole pack of sheep. They look for that one little sheep that gets lost from the herd because they're easy to pick off. And so basically you need to know this. When you are alone, the devil will attack you. That's when the demon comes and tempts you. In fact, most of us, when we have done something stupid, we were alone and that's when we got tempted. That's when we did something dumb. Late at night, no one's around, right? You're on a business trip, no one's around. It's when you're alone, oftentimes, that you do things you normally wouldn't do. Number one is demons attack when you're alone. They do. They oftentimes attack you when you're alone. So here's this guy that he has a demon in him, and it says what? He was all alone. He didn't live among people. He lived on his own. He had no friends. I mean, the guy walked around naked. I wouldn't want to hang out with him, you know, right? 
men's bodies naked are not attractive. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's the truth. It's one of those things, you know. And so, right, so this guy is totally naked. He lives alone, right? He lives out in the middle of nowhere. And so it's like this guy is half crazy, but now we know why he was crazy because he's got demons in him. And so he was dealing with that. So look what happens next. It says, as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. More on that in a minute. So this spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Now, I don't believe this man had special powers from the demons, but when he broke through chains as if they were nothing, it wasn't that we couldn't do that too, but you and I would stop because it would hurt our hands, right? We'd be like, okay, that hurts. Like, I'm breaking skin here. I'm not just going to keep going because I value my life. I value my arms. I, I, I don't want to be in pain. But if you quit valuing your life, you can probably just rip right through it, even if it rips your arms up. Make sense? So I don't believe he's really any stronger. He just no longer valued his own life. So this is, again, a sign that a demon is, is messing with you. You begin to not value yourself or your life or your livelihood um, or your, your, you know, your health, anything like that. So that's kind of what, what happens here, right? And so he, he says to Jesus, please don't torture me. Why would Jesus torture the, the devil, the demon? Here's why. Because in, the, in, in heaven, when Jesus and God and the angels fought Satan and the devils, the, 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 the angels that turned on God that eventually we call demons, um, when they fought, he kicked them out, and they know that their fate one day is to be thrown into the lake of fire, basically to go to hell and be tormented. So the devils are saying, the demons are saying, um, is, is, is today our day? Like, are you, is, is this the day you take us and throw us into the lake of fire? And uh, Like, please don't torture us. And so Jesus, at this point, doesn't do that, but they're assuming this must be their time. First John 4, 4 says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The next thing you need to know is this, number two. With Jesus, you have power over demons. With Jesus. Without Jesus, not so much. In fact, there's a place in the Bible where some guys tried to cast demons out and didn't know Jesus. They got, they got their butt handed to him, to be honest with you. I mean, you study the scripture and you're like, whoa. I mean, they just got tore up, beat up severely, almost to the point of death. And so if you're not a Christian, you don't want to mess with this stuff. I'm just telling you right now. Honestly, as a Christian, you shouldn't be messing with this stuff. But if you come across this, the answer is just to kick them out. Just say, you know, in the name of Jesus, get out. And so that's how you deal with that. In fact, th this happened to me. Um, I was uh, here at church, and I was shaking hands one day at the end of service. And at the 1 o'clock service, this, this young lady came, and her mom was with her. And she was probably 20-ish. I'm not sure exactly, but young 20s probably. Uh, maybe 19, 20, 21, if I had to guess. Uh, she walked up to me, and she seemed a little spaced out. And I don't know if it was drugs or what, but she came up to me, and she said, oh, Pastor Bill, I want to tell, tell you something. And it's just kind of like, this is odd. She's, just, she's not all there. What's going on here? And she said, I just have to tell you. And her mom was with her, and her mom had this look like, help me. You know, like I don't know what to do with my daughter kind of look, you know. And, uh, and she said, I want to tell you something. And I was like, sure, what? You know, and I mean, I've met weird people before. That's nothing new. You know, there's always, you know, some of you are just weird. I'm just telling you. Anyways, <laughs> so. No, I'm, I mean, you meet everybody in a large church. I'm, that's not a big deal for someone to be a little socially awkward. I'm not worried about that. But there was more to it, and I knew it right away. And she said to me, she, she grabbed my hands, you know, and she says, I want you to know that the goddess of whatever, and I don't know what it was, the goddess of something has come and touched my life. 
And I was like, okay. And she said, and, they've, and, the, and this goddess has given me the power to heal. I can heal anything and anyone with my hands. I got angry. I knew immediately what I was dealing with. And I said, okay, let's talk further about that. Oh, I'd love to. I said, why don't you just sit over there for just a moment, let me greet people, and we'll talk. And so I looked over the police officer who had already stepped up by my side. I always know when something looks weird because they just suddenly show up beside me. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And so I said, it's cool. It's cool. Just hang out. And so then after I greeted everyone on the way out the door and everyone left, it was just the officer and another pastor I asked to stay. I think there was two, two pastors and then the girl and her mom. And I said, let's talk now. So she hops up. She comes over. And she said, you know, I can, I can heal people, the goddess of this. And she starts telling me all this crazy stuff, which I knew was just nuts. And so as she began to tell me that, I just, anger came boiling in me because it was the spirit of God. It was, it was a holy anger, honestly. And uh, I just looked at her and I said, uh, you know, she said, can you believe I can heal? I said, no, you can't. You can't heal anyone or anything. She's like, what? I said, I know you can't. And I said, and I'm going to tell you right now what's going on. And I said, you have a demon in you. That's what's happening right now. She freaked out. She immediately flopped on the ground, burst into tears, and just went, no! Started freaking out, and it was like, okay, this is like a movie or something now. And I just said to her, in the name of Jesus, I demand satanic and evil spirits that are over you to leave at once in the name of Jesus. She began to cry uncontrollably and sob. I said, hop back up. She stood her back up, prayed with her, led her to Christ, basically. And at that point, you know, she began to say, I didn't know what was happening to me. I just didn't, I don't understand what's going on. It just is so weird. And I said, Did you? yeah, it was a demon. That's what that was. And so I just prayed with her, talked to her mom. Her mom literally looked at me and she said, I knew it. I was like, if you knew it, why didn't you do something about this earlier? She was like, I didn't know what to do. And sometimes parents, we don't know what to do. We get that. And so I just cast a demon out of her and that was it. Now, the next thing, all people always ask me about this is like, then what happened? Then I went to lunch. That's what happened next. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, you're like, in the name of Jesus, get out. All right, you want to go eat? Let's go eat. That's what I did. And the reason why, and it's the same thing Jesus did. He just cast the demon out. Done. Because we think we're supposed to have all this sensational stuff happen after that. Then what the demon do to it surface? Could you see it? No, I couldn't see it. That would really freak me out. Wouldn't it freak you out? It's a spirit. I can't see it. You know, but I was obviously manifested in this, in this girl, so I cast it out, and after that, it was done. You, people always say, well, what happened? Did she do this? I'm like, listen, you've watched too many movies, guys. She didn't levitate. She didn't have projectile vomiting. Her head didn't spin around. <laughs> We've watched too many stupid movies. All that stuff is fake, but what's not fake is the spirit. That's not fake. And so, and the reason I want to point out how simple this was is because we need to quit glorifying the devil. When he shows up, it's real simple. In the name of Jesus, out. Next. That's how you deal with it. That's it. It's not complicated. Like we, we overcomplicate this when, when it's not that complicated. In fact, Jesus asked this, this demon that begins to speak to this, this man a question. Now, let me ask you, why would Jesus ask a question? Because he doesn't know? Would Jesus ask a question because he doesn't know the answer? No. <laughs> He's God. He knows everything. So the only reason he would ask a question is not for his benefit, but for whose benefit? our benefit, right? It's kind of like a lawyer. If a lawyer asks a question in court, they already know the answer, right? They never ask a question they don't know the answer to because they're trying to lead you to a conclusion, right? So when Jesus asks a question, he knows the answer always, okay? He doesn't guess. He knows everything, okay? So when he asks this question, he already knows where this is going. Jesus demanded, here's the question he asked, what is your name? So why is he asking? Is he asking because Jesus doesn't know his name 
or could it be because we don't understand what's going on, right? In fact, why would he even say to this demon who was formerly an angel, what's your name? I'm sure Jesus recognized him because he could see it in the spirit too. And he's probably like, yeah, I know who you are. You're Bob. I've seen Bob before. You should shine my shoes. I know who you are. You used to be in heaven with me, right? Before we cast you down because you got rebellious, right? And so he knew he was. They know who all the demons are. They created him, right? Remember, Jesus is fully God. He was there when they were all created as well. And so he knows him. So he says, what is your name? They said, Legion, he replied, for, for he was filled with many demons. Legion means we are many. And so this was many demons in one person. And you, is that possible? Yeah, right here in Scripture, we know, we know it's possible. So why would Jesus say this unless he wants you and I to learn a lesson on how demons work? Right? Would you agree with that? That's why he would ask this question in front of the people who experienced this, saw this, and they were eyewitnesses, and they wrote about the story. So he asked it for their benefit, therefore for our benefit, okay? So he asked the question because he wanted you to understand one of the most powerful ways demons work is to use the power of groups against you. And so what does that mean? Number three, demons often use the power of groups to hurt you, whether a group of demons controlling one person or a group of demons controlling a group of people. Think about some of the most evil things that have happened to you. I bet it was a group of people that hurt your feelings. A group of people that betrayed you, a group of people that talked bad about you, a group of people that rejected you, or dare I say, and I hope and pray not, maybe a group of people raped you. Maybe a group of people beat you up. Groups do things they would never do on their own. So if a demon can influence one or two people, then they can influence the rest of the group to be stupid with them, then you'll end up doing things you never would do. If I were right now to go to our prison ministries, and I actually have asked these questions to these guys before, and I looked at the guy and said, what are you in here for? And the guy says, I killed someone or aggravated assault, or rape, or whatever it was, and I say, what made you do that? And they oftentimes drop their head and they go, man, I was just with the wrong group. Yep. When you're with the wrong group, you do things you would never do on your own. Now, before you begin to get judgmental about someone who's in prison for something like that, let me ask you about your last spring break when you were in high school. Did you do some things you normally wouldn't do because of the group you were with? Yeah. We've all done stuff we wouldn't do when we're but we're with this group, and they're all doing it, and so it just kind of felt like that's what we should do. And, uh, right? And so demons are smart. They know that we're social beings, and so if they can just get a handful of people in the group to do something, and you'll just, out of acceptance, out of wanting to fit in, go along with it. And so group psychology, demons are geniuses with that. You say, you're telling me peer pressure is demonic? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. There are groups of people who decided that every Jew should be killed. If you think, oh, Hitler had this mean army. They were all high schoolers. Go do the history. I want to be a part of something cool. Look at their fancy, shiny uniforms as they come through our neighborhoods, as they come through our towns. I want to be a part of that group. And because I want to be accepted so bad, I'm willing to kill people. Wow. Talk about the power of group in the wrong direction. Demons are smart. They know how to get us. Here's the good news. You can also get involved in the right group, like the youth group, the children's group, your small group, your serving group. There's all kinds of good groups to be part of. And so you got to make a decision what group you're going to go for. And so, in fact, we believe in community, which means we are changed lives, changing lives. Let me tell you why it matters. 1 Corinthians 15, says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Who you run with determines what you're like. Now, some of you right now are thinking, well, pastor, I thought we were talking about demons. Now you're talking about peer pressure. But I bet you've been a part of this before, haven't you? We all have. We've all been sucked into this. Well, okay, but that's stuff from high school. No, 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 no. There's peer pressure at our age. There's, there's adult peer pressure. Why'd you buy a $50,000 car? Because you just needed it. 
or because all your friends are driving one? Why'd you have to have that house and go into debt that much? Well, you know, everyone's wearing that, and I just feel like I should have that too, and everyone's driving that. Wow, we're grown adults, and we're still following the fear pressure, right? And so the group still causes you to do things you never normally would do. You would never normally go to those places, but you're out of town, and all the other salesmen are doing it, and so you were just with the group. And it almost cost you your marriage. Groups are powerful. The devil's good at grouping up on you. He knows how to do that. Again, some of you are like, well, I'm faster than me. I would never like fall for some demon. You don't have to fall for a demon. You fell for the wrong guy. You fell for the wrong girl. They can mess up your life better than a demon can. You know, maybe you're on your decade delay. You date the wrong person, it costs you about a decade of your life. And so the truth is, is that I think the devil sometimes just introduces you to the wrong person and just sees you fall in love and just goes, my work's done here. You can take it from there and all your stupidness. Good luck. <laughs> and so groups are powerful that will make us do things we would never normally do. Demons oftentimes use the power of groups. Now check out what happens next. I think this is very interesting. Luke chapter 8, verse 31. You may know the story, but you may not know why. Let me explain the why as to what, what happened next. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. They kept saying, please don't send us to hell yet. Because they know that's ultimately where they're going, right? So they're like, oh, Jesus, we didn't think you were going to show up yet. Please don't send us to hell now. And Jesus is like, well, that's not the plan. So I wasn't going to do that today. But yes, I ultimately am going to do that. I just love Jesus in this scripture. It's like, Man, Jesus is like straight up heavenly mafia right here. You know, he's like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Just not yet. You're like, man, Jesus, you ain't messing around, right? And so he's like, oh, it's going down. Just, just not today, right? And so he's, th th they begged him. It says in verse 32, there happened to be a large herd of pigs nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. Wow. And they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people basically begged Jesus to go away. A great wave of fear swept over them. It scared them to death. Even those who loved Jesus were like, Jesus, can you leave? We're freaked out. Like, I don't want to see that again. That was, that was really weird. So why would Jesus have the demons go into the pigs? I believe that's because Jesus was, was trying to show you the most humane possible way of basically a demon slash science experiment. Kind of like we use lab rats. We try not to torture them either, but we will use rats to inject them with certain things to figure out if, they, if we can cure the cancer or not. So we give them a little cancer, let it grow, give them something, see if it works, right? Which sounds horrible to the rat, I realize, but it's a lot better than trying that on a human, right? So I think Jesus is like, okay, I want to show everyone what it looks like when demons get a hold of the crowd. So let's just let the pigs be our little experiment. So go ahead, y'all can go in the pigs. And what do the pigs do? Pigs are stupid, in case you don't know. So the demons fill up all these pigs, right? And the pigs are like, hey, let's run this way. And they go right off the cliff to their death. They all died, right? And so Jesus is saying, if you follow the wrong crowd that's influenced by evil, that's where you go. That's the result of where you go. What does this mean? Number four, learn the lessons from different groups. Learn the lessons from different groups. Now, those of you, some of you are like, well, yeah, I mean, pigs are stupid. 
So, of course, they all turned and just followed off the cliff. Oh, let's do this way. Everyone else is doing it. Let's go. And they all died, right? But the Bible calls you and I sheep. Now, I hate to break it to you. Sheep are dumb. They are. I don't know if you knew that. They're very dumb. They are. They're also smelly. But they're dumb. And so, before you start thinking, well, I'm not some dumb pig. No, we're just dumb sheep. And so we're like, what's everybody doing? Let's go do that. And then we go off a cliff, too, because everyone else is doing it. So we think everyone else is going that much debt. I'll go, too. Everyone else is doing this. I'll go, too. And so learn the lesson of where the group is going right before you join the group. Where is this going to end before I figure out whether I want to do this? Young people, it seems so cool at the party in high school or college when everyone's gathered around the table with all the white stuff out and they're snorting stuff up their nose and look, they're in the cool group but I can show you that same group 10 years later at Narcotics Anonymous, same people in 12-step. Not as cool. That's where it goes. So everyone's doing that. Maybe I should do it too. Do you want to go off the cliff? Then go with the group. This makes sense? Again, you're like, what does that have to do with demons? Everything. Because the world system is so good that they convince you this is a popular music, this is a popular movie, disregard the morality of it, disregard what you're being taught, what you're hearing that's being played in your mind over and over and over again. That's what the group said's cool. That's what I go with. Never mind that I'm listening to drug addicts and sex addicts and it's going to destroy my life. It's cool. And the group's into it. So like everyone else, I'm going to stay with the group. Where does that lead you? Make sense? So the biggest way the demons attack you is not through some crazy, woo. No, he's like, hey, try this. Everyone's doing it. Feels good. You're going to love it. Oh, come on, man. It's the norm. Everyone does it. Just because everyone's doing it. I mean, you're just basically describing group therapy, group, group, group psychology. Like everyone's, everyone's, you know, well, everyone does that in their marriage. Yeah, the average marriage is screwed up. Do you want your marriage to look like the average group? I don't. Do you want your finances to look like the average American's finances? That's not good. I promise you. Do you want to have the same psychology as the average person? The average person is pretty depressed. 40% of all drugs prescribed at family physicians in America are antidepressants. 40%. You sure you want to do what everyone's doing? Because that's how it's going. Bottom line is, guys, you can't go and live your life like everyone else. Because if you do, you'll be miserable. Don't fall for the group. That is one of the devil's fastest ways to destroy your life. Demons are smart. They know how to group up on you and know how to get you into the wrong group. You say, well, what do I do? Do I be alone then? Do I be in group? Do you be in the right group? What's it called? It's called the local church. It's called the youth group. It's called hanging out with friends who are trying to honor God. It's called going to small group. It's called serving. It's called being in the house of God. Get in the right group. It'll change your life. If you don't believe me, just keep coming and you'll see that we'll influence you. By default, it's just going to happen. Time and again, people tell me on, when I see them out and about around town, they go, oh, man, the church has just changed my life. And they may describe my sermon a little bit, but oftentimes they begin to tell me about their new friendships, their new relationships, and how it's really changed them. You know why? Because who you hang out with is who you become like. You want to change your life? Change your peer group, and it'll change everything. 
Hey, last week I told you I was going to answer this question. What does 666 mean? Maybe you've always wondered to know, like, what is up with that? I'm going to get into some of the detailed stuff. What does 666 mean? People oftentimes think, oh, I know what that means. And this is the common answer. And this is not that it's wrong, but there's more to it. People say, oh, 666 is one off from 777. 777 is the trifecta of perfection. It represents the, the, you know, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We know that, right? So people think 666 is one off of it. And so that would be the number of the evil... Uh, excuse me, the evil trinity, which would be Satan, the beast, and um, gosh, it just went blank. That's so bad. I'm so sorry. Satan, the beast, and what's the other one? False prophet. Thank you very much. Sometimes you got to have your sermon help from the audience. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, my mind went blank. Keep in mind, I'm a professional speaker. So, Sometimes people think that, but actually when John in, in, the, in the Revelation wrote about it, that's not what actually he was referring to. That's actually true. All those things are true, which, by the way, that's not an evil trinity, meaning that actually it's all in one. It's not. Satan's different than the beast. It's different than the false prophet. Having said that, it does have some representation there, but what it actually means, the real meaning of it is very different. It's a double prophecy, and the first prophecy was this. Check out the scripture. It says in Revelation 13, 18, it says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. So when it says this calls for wisdom, another translation says this is a riddle. So the apostle John, who wrote Revelation, he also was called John the Revelator, because he wrote Revelation, which means revealer, John the Revealer. He revealed what would happen in the end. He says this is a riddle. Why didn't John just say who it was? Because the guy was still alive and very powerful, so he put it into a, a, a number. And the reason why is because Greeks knew there was a numerical system that added up to certain people. In other words, your name in, in, in Greco-Roman times had a value, a numeric value to it. Okay. For example, alpha equals one, beta equals two. So, uh, so actually the Greek alphabet actually has a numerical value to it. So when you break it down, the number of the man actually 666 equals Nero Caesar. So it was Nero. Nero was a Caesar in the first century. And the reason John said he is like the beast in the end, he is like uh, the one who will come and, and, and basically uh, pull the wool over our eyes like the false prophet. What he was saying was like Nero, that's how it's going to happen in the end when Revelation actually happens. And the reason why is because Nero was torturing and killing Christians. Nero in the first century, by the way, when Rome burned, when the big fire of Rome happened in the first century, Nero blamed all the Christians, gathered them all up, tortured them and killed them. This is why there was a Colosseum. They would gather in the Colosseum. And yes, there was Olympics and all that, but guess what? The origination of the Colosseum was actually to kill Christians. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it was like sport. And so they had all kinds of creative ways that could kill you. And so, so if you uh, had faith in Christ, they, they would take your life. So this is really cool. According to Tertullian, he was a historian, also one of the church fathers in the early church. This is not in the Bible, but we know it's historically accurate. John, I don't know if you know this, but all the disciples were killed for their faith but one, John. John, actually, they tried to kill him for his faith, too, it just didn't work because a miraculous thing happened. Domitian actually tried to, to kill him. They gathered him up among other Christians. John was very famous because he was an apostle. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was very old, and uh, he'd been around a long time, and so he had all these great stories of old that we have now in the Bible, right, that he wrote all those. Well, he was very famous for that. When they got him, they filled the Colosseum with people so they could kill the apostle John and prove to the world that Christianity's dead, we're going to take out one of the founders, and when we do, it'll be a warning. Let it serve as a warning to everyone not to follow Jesus. That was their plan. So the way they were going to kill John was they were going to boil him in oil. That was actually a common practice of a way you could kill him. Let's just fry him up, literally. So they boiled the oil, put it in a big pot, 
And then they had a platform. They put the oil down below it. And on the platform, they had John come up. And they pushed him off into the oil. The Colosseum is completely full. Everyone's watching the death of John. Only when he falls into the oil, he stands right up unharmed and steps right out of it. Miraculously, and the entire Colosseum gave their life to Christ on the spot, saying, that man's God is real. How cool is that? Google it if you don't believe me. It's, I checked it out myself. It's amazing, and it's just a really cool story. But he's the one who wrote about 666. He referred to Nero. He, he couldn't stand Nero. You know why? Nero killed his friend, killed, killed Peter. He's the one who turned Peter upside down and hung him on the cross until he, he died. He didn't bleed out. He died because his, because his head probably hemorrhaged from all the blood coming to it. And so he was in pain while he died. Um, he also killed Paul. And so Nero was considered, in their mind, the Antichrist. He was literally against Christ and all Christians. And so that's where 666 comes from. Anybody learn something new right now? Getting something new? All right, good, 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 good. All right. Now, another question people have is about Ouija boards, tarot cards, crystal balls, palm readers, all those things. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination, which is tells fortunes, interprets omens, a sorcerer, charmer, medium, necromancer, or anyone who inquires of the dead. These things are an abomination to the Lord. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And then it says in Leviticus 20, verse 6, I will set my face against anyone who consults mediums and wizards instead of me. So number five, Ouija boards, tarot cards, crystal balls, and palm readers are all variations of divination which means seeking information from supernatural resources other than God. He doesn't want us to do that. Now, let me show you one last thing. People say, I've had people ask this question, uh, can we communicate with the dead, like a seance? Maybe you've seen some of these crazy movies that show that kind of stuff, and it all freaks you out, right? Is that possible? I'm going to tell you something that's really kind of scary, but crazy. You ready for this? Yes, that's possible. I just don't recommend it. Because when you do that, you're inviting stuff into your life. 1 Samuel 28 says this, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him. When Saul, the Philist- when, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. Now he's before the woman. He said this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? That was a dead Samuel talking to Saul. So obviously that can happen. First Chronicles 10, 13 says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord. Even consult, and he even consulted the medium for guidance. Why would he say I, he didn't keep the word of the Lord, but instead he, he consulted a medium? Because mediums are what people do in place of where they already have answers. Make sense? So he didn't keep the word of the Lord. Even Instead, he consulted the medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David. So number six, can we communicate with the dead? Yes, but we shouldn't. When you try to communicate with the dead, you are inviting evil upon yourself. Here's the crux of the last two points I was going to leave you with, and that is this. The only spirit you should communicate with is the Holy Spirit. All other spirits other than the Holy Spirit are evil spirits. When your friend says, I've been doing this really cool thing. I've gotten into spiritualism. That's a nice front for demons. That's all that is. Oh, I really think Wicca's cool. This, 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 it's, it's not, it's not dark magic. It's light magic. No, it's evil spirits. And they may appear to you as innocent, but it is not. 
It takes you away from God and not towards God. I'm just telling you right now, you playing around with stuff like that is about as cute to God as you taking an ex-girlfriend's picture and putting up on the fireplace man on your home. Try that. But it doesn't go over well. That's about how cute it is to God. So I just want to say this. There's the last thing I want to say. Don't mess with this stuff. Don't mess with it. You, you, if you've got tarot cards in your home, out. Just get rid of it. Chunk it. Just throw it all away. All of it. You don't want to mess with any of this kind of stuff. It's dangerous. It's damaging. And it can hurt you. And so, you know, if your kids are, are into stuff or listening to music that's got this stuff or watching movies that got this stuff, I highly recommend you stay away from it. You want a scary movie? Fine. Be scared. But it better be cheesy scared, not demonic scared. That's the stuff to avoid. Make sense? There is a difference. I don't care about Freddy Krueger. I'm talking about real demonic stuff. That's the stuff you want to avoid, okay? And so you want to avoid that kind of stuff because that stuff can and will hurt you. It leads you down the wrong road. Here's the last thing I want to say, and we'll wrap it up. The last thing I want to say is this. I know we talk a lot about demons and all this kind of stuff, but what's the real point of all these demons and demonology and all this kind of stuff is that they're trying to lead you away from hearing from God. So most of us here today would say, well, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to go, like, try to search out an answer from a tarot card or a palm reader. Or, I'm not going to do all that stupid stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to seek answers in, in those ways. But let's talk about how we do seek answers. Oftentimes, we have a question about something. And so what do we do? We Google it, first thing. We go to a mom blog. We go listen to our favorite motivational speaker. We go read a book by a famous businessman or businesswoman. Or, or even worse, we want to know the opinions of famous reality stars and what they think we should do. So we get the advice from everything and everyone except where the advice ultimately should come from. So the reason I want to bring this up is because most of us would say, well, I would never get into that demonic stuff. But it's no different if you're looking for your answers everywhere but God. It's the same thing. Now, I'm not trying to say that's always bad. I'm trying to say that no one else has wisdom. I'm just trying to say your answers come from God first, not Dr. Phil. Listen, you don't need an Oprah's master class. You need the Word of God in your life. Does that make sense? And so, and again, there may be some great wisdom in some of that stuff, but the source of wisdom is God and His Word. Everything else is a resource, but this is the source. So let's go to God first. That's the first place we go. I want to ask you a question across all of our campuses right now. How many of you are looking for an answer from God right now? There's something you're trying to decide, you don't know what to do, and you need to hear from God. If that's you, would you hold your hand up at whatever campus you're at right now? Just hold your hand if you're like, I really, I've got a question, I don't know what to do, I'm at a crossroads, I need God to show me what to do. A lot of hands just went up. And I want to challenge you before you ask one more person before you Google it one more time, before you read one more book about that, before you go to one more blog about that, before you type it into Twitter or into Facebook or anything else, I want to challenge you right now to simply say to God today, this afternoon, in your time with the Lord, stop and say, God, would you please speak to me? Would you please show me what to do next? Then open the Word of God and begin to read it. Chronicle it. Write down what God shows you. If he doesn't show you today, he'll show you tomorrow. In fact, people say, when you stop reading, I say, whenever God speaks to you, you can stop. Until then, keep reading. Oh, I read this section and I didn't get anything out of it. Then keep reading to the next section. You keep reading, eventually something's going to hit you. God's word's that powerful. But whatever you do, quit living like the world, trying to find advice from all the wrong sources, and then wondering why you're living powerless we got to go to God's Word first. And I know we're here today at church to do that. I get that. 
But I want to challenge you to make sure, even before you read a Christian book, and I think Christian books are great. I happen to have, be an author, have, have, have written some. But sometimes you need to set all those aside and just go to, instead of a good book, go to the good book and say, God, what do you have for me today? And he will speak to you. He wants it that way because that's when your relationship with him becomes real. It becomes personal. He has things to tell you, and he will guide you, and he will lead you. He's a lamp unto your feet, a light to your path. Seek him, and he will show you the way. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would we just take a moment? Maybe today your prayers is to say, God, forgive me. I haven't gotten into all that crazy stuff we talked about, but Lord, I haven't been seeking you. I've been seeking other sources. When I need to seek you first. Lord, forgive me for looking at other people's opinions about my life rather than your opinion about my life. Lord, forgive me for wondering what everyone else thinks rather than what you think. Make that your prayer today. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can receive him by praying a very simple prayer. You can pray this with me. We're going to pray it out loud together across all of our campuses. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins. And you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you first place in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ain't God good? His word is so true.